Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. My guest today is Carl Ware. If you've been in Atlanta a while, you know exactly who he is. If not, here's a little more about him. Carl Ware is a former high-ranking executive at the Coca-Cola Company. He was in line to be Coke's first black CEO, but as you are about to hear, that was not to be. Mr. Ware's now 74 and retired, and he's finally written his book, Portrait of an American Businessman, One Generation from the Cotton Field to the Boardroom. Carl Ware will be speaking next Sunday, October 20th, at Cascade United Methodist Church during both the 8 and 11 a.m. services. As I said, walking to the studio, I know you greatly by reputation, but it's the first time to put eyes on you. Well, Condis, this is not my first time laying eyes on you. I've seen you and your fine work uh, in the city of Atlanta and in your profession for many years, and I'm a great admirer of yours. And Thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk about my new book. So you retired in 2003. What took you so long to get your story on paper? Well, you know, the first uh, iteration of the book was done with uh, an old friend of mine and a great writer, John Head. Uh, and John and I worked on the book for, oh, I guess about a couple of years. And then I decided after retiring from Coca-Cola that I would just put it away and let it steep. Uh, because my new career in corporate governance was just beginning. So I figured I had a lot more to talk about, and I'm glad I waited. I was very fortunate to uh, meet and team up with Sibley Fleming, who is a renowned and award-winning writer who helped me write this book. So we've published, and the response has just been overwhelming. It's just been tremendous. To sit down and to open at page one and the stories that you begin to tell about your father going to vote, your yeah. family growing up in Noonan down in Kaida County. Yeah. What a great rich Georgia history your story is. Well, let me start with um, that story and many other stories that I have in the book. But first, you know, Atlanta has been a leading city internationally and nationally and uh, in terms of culture, business, uh, politics, and civil rights. And I, I woke up one morning and realized that I've been directly connected to many of those world-changing events in Atlanta, uh, policies and people that have made a lasting impact on the city. I also realized that I've played a pivotal role in international commerce, I worked with some of the most dynamic uh, leaders in the world who literally changed the course of history. So that realization led me to a feeling of responsibility uh, to write it all down and share it in this book. And yet amongst your, your family members, you're not the official historian in your family. My, the official historian in my family is my older brother, living older brother, Walter, and uh, he has given me such a rich 
uh, history and understanding of what it was like growing up on a sharecropper's farm and what it was like growing up under the great tutelage and leadership of engaged parents like my mother and father, Lois and you beware. Um, they were truly engaged. And I can tell you that um, the values that I learned um, that they instilled in me, like hard work, uh, sacrifice, uh, discipline, uh, preparation, humility, uh, those were the values that I needed to help me uh, overcome seemingly um, insurmountable odds and seize those opportunities and make a difference in the lives of the people that I was fortunate enough to work with here in Atlanta uh, back in the days when the, the power shift in politics and economics was occurring in Atlanta. It also steeled at me as I went out into the world uh, with Coca-Cola in Africa and as deputy group president for Northeast Europe and Africa. Um, all of those values were the foundation uh, that gave me the strength and courage to, uh, to do the things that I did and to go out and meet some extraordinary people in this world who've made a difference. Um, from business, people like Roberta Gazueta, uh, Warren Buffett, um, people like Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Tutu, who wrote the foreword for my book. Yes, he did. And um, Nelson Mandela, who became a very good friend and uh, Mary and I, my wife, had the great pleasure and honor of being personally invited to his inauguration uh, at the end and the uh, of the uh, of apartheid, in which he uh, became the first democratically elected president of that country. So, it's been a big world and great opportunities, and uh, I've enjoyed every minute of my life and. Uh, and continue to do so. Hopefully this book will will help people understand that those were extraordinary times, especially here in the city of Atlanta. You know, when Maynard Jackson became the first African-American mayor of the city of Atlanta, I was by his side as the first African-American city council president. And we found a city that was uh, basically exclusionary in terms of its policies and uh, for African-American and women um, in, its, in the economy of this city, in the life and culture of this city. We changed that, and it was a proud moment in my life to stand beside one of the greatest uh, public servants who've ever lived anywhere, whether locally or nationally. Maynard was my friend, and we worked as a team. Uh, to change the economic landscape in Atlanta and to demonstrate to um, the business establishment that it is not a sacrifice of any shape or form to level the playing field and to provide economic power sharing uh, so that women and minorities could participate in the economy of this city in a more robust uh, manner. Uh, we did that, by example, at the Atlanta airport in the $2 billion expansion of the Atlanta airport. Um, we showed Wall Street, the Atlanta banks, and the business community that you do not have to sacrifice 
uh, financial standards and financial uh, performance, and nor the quality of construction. We delivered that airport uh, well within budget and ahead of schedule. Um, and this, the, the, the so-called sacrifice that we were making to involve minorities and women, uh, that was a myth, and we proved that. Take us back to your decision to offer yourself for public service. Well, the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was the biggest inspiration for me uh, to go into politics. Uh, Dr. King's death inspired me to want to run for public office and to get elected to the Atlanta City Council so that I could do my part to use my power, political power at the time, um, to change the way business was done in this city, to, to create an atmosphere of power sharing, uh, not just in the political arena, but in the economic arena as well. In other words, to do what Dr. King started to do before he was assassinated in Memphis, and that is to move the protest movement to a movement towards economic parity in this country. You've touched on the fact that Archbishop Desmond Tutu has written the foreword to your book. Reset for our listeners, so many who may not know, that story about apartheid in South Africa and Coca-Cola's role in, in bringing that to an end, and really you doing that. Well, working alongside Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who again wrote the foreword to my book, I was the architect of the Coca-Cola company's disinvestment strategy from apartheid South Africa. And our reinvestment in that country took place under my leadership later on as group president of Coca-Cola Africa under the uh, presidency of um, Nelson Mandela. I tell the story in my book of how that all uh, came about. And it was a meeting that occurred in Soweto um, in 1983, uh, 84, uh, with Desmond Tutu, in which I sat down with him and talked about how our company, Coca-Cola in particular, and how American companies could bring their collective power to bear uh, to end apartheid in South Africa. Um, that was a very pivotal moment in world history, and I was privileged to be a part of that. Uh, my role was to get the Coca-Cola company uh, my bosses back here in Atlanta, Roberta Gazueto, who was uh, CEO of the company, Don Keogh, uh, and Klaus Hollow, who was head of uh, Coca-Cola International, on board with the strategy that the Coca-Cola company must disinvest from South Africa um, in a manner that would empower black South Africans to prepare themselves for the new South Africa and to begin to participate within the Coca-Cola system in South Africa economically as owners and as, as managers who were running the business. I inherited a business uh, throughout the continent of Africa that had not one single African in charge of a P&L responsibility on the entire continent. Think about that. It was the old, the epitome of the old colonial system in Africa where 99 and 9-10% of all of the key decision-making positions were occupied by Europeans and white American males. My challenge to 
the organization that I took charge of, Coca-Cola Africa, was that each one of you managers who report to me must find a way, develop a plan, and demonstrate how your job would be occupied by an African over time. And don't tell me that you can't find them because we're going to go to every university in Europe and America and we're going to locate these bright and talented people. And we're going to change. I called it Africanizing the Africa business uh, from stem to stern, from ownership to management, uh, distributors. And we did that. We changed that. You know, Nelson Mandela made the comment in Long Walk to Freedom that the primary and fundamental difference between the civil rights struggle in the United States and the struggle against apartheid was that in the United States, during the civil rights struggle, uh, we had a constitution that was enshrined with the principle that everyone had the right to protest and to be protected under the law uh, while they were uh, conducting that nonviolent protest. In South Africa, the difference was that the Constitution of South Africa enshrined a police state and oppression, and where nonviolence was uh, protest was met with an army and a military force uh, that locked people up or people just disappeared. Um, and who put Nelson Mandela behind bars. What a great man he was. And I tell you, when I first met him, I had such a feeling in my heart and my soul of the majesty of this man. Um, a man who had spent 27 years in prison, 18 of which working in a rock quarry, and yet unbowed and unbeaten, he stood there in front of me with a smile on his face, greeting me as though he had known me all of his life. I come to learn that he treated his enemies the same way. What a man. How did you prepare for your your career at business? You've talked a bit about your parents and how invested they were in all of you children. You went to Clark College. Clark College. I uh, attended Clark College and got a bachelor's degree in political science. I then went on from Clark College to our Carnegie um, Institute of Technology, which is now Carnegie Mellon University, to study uh, urban design. And from there, I decided that I wanted to be a city planner. So I transferred over to the University of Pittsburgh and got a master's degree in public administration and uh, urban planning. Well, coming out of that um, educational environment, and, and by the way, all throughout my career, about every five years, I believed in the principle of renewing my knowledge base. I went to Georgia State University. I was one of the first students at Georgia State University to participate in the executive MBA program. Didn't finish. It wasn't the point. The point was that I needed to bone up on my quantitative skills in business. So I went back to Georgia State. Subsequently, upon uh, getting promoted to uh, uh, senior vice president and president of the Africa Group, I went to Harvard 
to study in the International Senior Management Program, again, uh, to make sure that the, my marketing and my financial skills and my uh, whole tool set, if you will, my competency set, would help me to be better prepared to lead and to take charge of the continent of Africa. And so it's about continuously preparing oneself for new challenges in the world, that you never stop learning, you never stop uh, believing in yourself. Uh, there were times, uh, Condis, when I woke up in strange places all over the continent of Africa and wondered, how am I going to lead this team in Rwanda uh, or in uh, Cote d'Ivoire or in uh, Nigeria or in Angola or in Mozambique in the face of civil war? Hmm. How am I going to inspire them to go out and build bottling plants and, and distribution systems? And you did. And I did it. Uh, God was with me, but I was prepared. Um, God doesn't send you out unprepared if you're willing to make the sacrifices to go do what it is you need to do uh, to get ready and to deliver on the promise. How did you land at Coke? Well, that's a very interesting story. I, when I came back to Atlanta from um, my work with the Urban League of Pittsburgh, I was uh, hired out of graduate school by the director of the Urban League of Pittsburgh to head up the housing program, a newly funded Ford Foundation housing uh, construction and integration pro um, housing integration program. D you know, so when I came back to Atlanta, I didn't know really what I wanted to do, except I knew that, that eventually I wanted to be in politics. So. J. Paul Austin, who was then the chairman of the board of the Coca-Cola Company, uh, uh, for whom my sister Louise worked, she had told uh, Chairman Austin about her little brother who had all of this education <laughs> and who uh, was a hard worker and so forth. She did a great job uh, uh, selling um, the notion that they should recruit me. So the chairman of the board of Coca-Cola, J. Paul Austin, who, by the way, had worked his way from the Coca-Cola company in Atlanta to South Africa and was the division manager of South Africa who first integrated the lunch rooms of the Coca-Cola plants in South Africa. J. Paul Austin was from LaGrange, Georgia, born and raised. And so he recruited me. I said no initially. I said I'm not sure I want to be in a corporate job. I'm not sure I want to work for a big company. My mission in life and my calling is politics. I was then still the president of the Atlanta City Council. And he came back again and he said, uh, and that was about four months later, and he said, can we talk about it again? And I said, uh, sure. Well. At that point, I said, well, I really need a real job because city council was a part-time job. The housing industry, which I had been uh, developed and, 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 and worked in around Atlanta and the southeast was drying up because the uh, federal budgets for uh, low and moderate income housing was drying up. That's what I was doing. Um, so I said, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. 
I went to work for Coca-Cola January 3rd, 1974, and as a governmental affairs specialist. So I worked that job, learned government relations, spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. as a lobbyist, um, and um, eventually... Um, marketing just kind of got under my skin and started to beckon me towards that. And one very fateful thing happened. One of my mentors and close friends, uh, Charlie Boone, who was the vice president of special markets at the time, passed away at age 48, Mm -hmm. sitting in his office at Coca-Cola. And again, Um, I went to Mr. Austin and I said, um, look, um, maybe there could be an opportunity for me to uh, apply uh, for Charlie's job. They didn't hesitate. They promoted me (laughs) to Charlie's job. I think they promoted me because they saw that I had the training. I had the background. I certainly had the political and national connections and relationships in urban America where we were trying to grow uh, the Coca-Cola business. And so I took that role on and um, took that job of special markets to another another level and then expanded it from just focusing on black consumer market development to Hispanic uh, consumer market development throughout the country. from there, um, things began to happen. I was one success after the other. Uh, and uh, one day, uh, Donald Keogh, who was president of Coca-Cola USA at the time, said, we've got another mission we're looking at for you. We need some help in South Africa. And could you go over there? And when you do, the only instructions I had, Condis, was leave no stone unturned. I got a briefing from uh, the management here in Atlanta, and we had briefings. I had briefings from um, the management on the ground in, in throughout Africa, but I had really no roadmap. You drew it yourself. I drew the roadmap myself, as and I did something that I think um, I recommend to anyone who is embarking upon a new responsibility in whatever the organization is, whether it's public sector or private sector. Learn the skill of learning while you lead. And what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that you're not going to always come into a position ready to lead. That continuous learning and how to manage people, how to organize people to get the most out of Uh, and how to surround yourself with the best talent. I always said, I want people who are so much smarter than I am around me (laughs) that, you know, my job is to understand strategy, is to build plans, and to know how to go execute those plans. And if I've got the right finance people, uh, superior marketing talent, uh, superior uh, human resources people, Uh, superior people who understand the need for diversity, not just in Atlanta, but globally, then, hey, I can go out and lead and learn at the same time. Carl, what do you want readers to take away from the many stories in your book and the 
incredible life that you've had the opportunity to lead? I think I alluded to it uh, a little while ago, um, and that is that power is earned, gained, or provided to you to do good. Use your power uh, to make a difference in the lives of other people. That's what I tried to do. Friends, Carl Ware's book, again, is called Portrait of an American Businessman, One Generation from the Cotton Field to the Boardroom. And again, you can hear more from him Sunday, October 20th, as he's the featured speaker during the 8 and 11 a.m. services at Cascade United Methodist Church. Carl Ware, it has been a pleasure. This has been a wonderful uh, opportunity for me to talk more about uh, my life and the impact that I have tried to make on society. and um, to show my appreciation for the blessings that uh, have been given me to, to do the work that I've done. Mr. Ware, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condos Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.